Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. If I sound a little bit more radio today, it's because we're back in a professional studio environment here uh, for the first time in a while. We're not recording over Zoom today. IRL, just as God intended. Uh, <laughs> live from... Uh, Primal Note Studios. Primal Note. Room 16. Yeah. You heard it here first. Uh, pour one out, because Christian's going to have to give this up pretty soon, but we're using it while we got it, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's wild to spend uh, $1,600 a month to just put two mics up in a very small room, but we're here. <laughs> hey, here we are. We're doing it for you, so we sound amazing. Um, thank you again, everybody who's been watching and commenting. Uh, Happy New Year. It's 2024 at last. Here we are. Tour's coming up very soon, and uh, there's been a lot of excitement this week. I've seen many people reacting positively to the latest announcement from the Stones, which is basically what, the majority of what we're going to talk about today, and it's the Live at the Wiltern from 2002. Which, um, again, we asked for, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. because it's in the bonus features. Some of the tracks are on Live Licks, yeah. but it's also in the bonus features, the You Don't Have to Mean It, Beast of Burden, and I believe the Jim Keltner Can You Hear Me Knocking. Uh, uh, I'll have to look at my notes to be 100% sure. But yeah, we've seen a little bit of this. Also, recently, and I didn't even know this until this week, and I was looking up for this show, but last year, the BBC... Uh, broadcast part of this show, and apparently th that's the new mix that we're going to get on this release. Um, not the whole thing, but like about 70 minutes or so of the whole program. Um, so it's been hiding there in plain sight for about six months. Yeah, and, and honestly, there is a ton of stuff. The um, There was a documentary uh, last year or two years ago that was put on iPlayer and nowhere else. Yeah. And to the good people of the British Isles, I would just ask, I am ready, willing, and able to spend money on this, and uh, I will happily pay Alec Hart for it. Uh, not too much, obviously, but I will help subsidize your TV right? Uh, to watch your exclusive Rolling Stones footage and, you know, whatever whatever else you've got. Give obviously. me your Channel 4. Give me your BBC. Give me everything you got, because I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're, I mean, Blackadder. Uh, <laughs> we're talking. The great top... British Bake Off. <laughs> yeah, uh... we want it, and we'll we'll pay. Please don't. Please go easy on us. Yeah, stop with the geo blocking. Anyway, so before we get to live at the wheel turn, um, there are a couple of other things that I think we want to talk about. We briefly touched on this last year, or maybe it was the year before. I forget which. But Abco put out a seven-inch singles box set, which I don't think either of us bought. Um, didn't feel the need to, but they're doing another one this year covering the period. 66 to 71 uh and also for some reason the neptunes and fatboy slim remixes of sympathy for the devil are on a seven inch now because they own the masters because they assume, yeah commissioned yeah. those remixes for the 2002 sacd single um i'm sticking with sacd i don't i don't feel the need to buy those mixes again you but. know it's seen i was talking about physical media in one of the previous episodes and i that i've seen a lot of people coming around on that mm -hmm. that like streaming does offer in most cases, a worse product. There is some yeah. versions of it where it's like, you know, neck and neck. But I definitely find with uh, with Blu-ray versus streaming, there's definitely a quality difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. And ask any Christopher Nolan fan in the last 13 months, and they will have been talking about this nonstop. And the thing is, no one, yes, my vinyl will eventually become, you know, be thrown on the ash heap of history, and so will the CDs and everything. But nobody is going to come into my house and alter those things, you right. know, or or take them away from me. And I mentioned with the Motown, like, it's so important to keep those mono mixes 
and not update them with Atmos or whatever crazy formats we have in the future. I do love the Atmos mixes, but I want to keep the mono mixes yeah, because yeah, yeah. those are historical documents and they sound the best. And I think Abco have done a pretty good job as far as their vinyl output of keeping the standards high for all these reissues. They've been going back and separately issuing all of the stereo albums um, kind of in handfuls. But also I got the colored vinyl mono box set and that sounded wonderful. Um, I've heard reports that the first singles box also sounded really good. Maybe not quite as amazing as those original copies, but those are like hen's teeth. You can't find those originals. So if you need a mono, we love you slash dandelion seven inch. How I feel personally called <laughs> out by this. <laughs> Maybe investing 200 bucks in this box set or whatever it costs. I did not find it was that hard to find. Uh, I found an unplayed Jumping Jack Flash Child of the Moon, which mm. I'm very happy with and some other stuff. So it's not in. It's not entirely implausible that you could find them. Yeah. But the thing that you want to make sure of is where those 45s were pressed because some of them are not as good. Good. And I tend to find the closer we, we went down the rabbit hole on this and we believe that the closer you are to the facility where the mastering was done. Yeah. The better it's going to be. Now, this is by like small percentage. Yeah, points. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, it literally makes no difference. They'll send the same metal parts to multiple pressing plants and it's just kind of a crapshoot which one's better. I would say that because these are from the digital remasters, the latest restored ones that are on the mono box set i think you're going to have a similar experience to that here um you know if you want to just have them in the seven inch format and you want to collect all the artwork or whatever great knock yourself out speaking of remixes though um if you loved fat boy slim and the neptunes uh there's also the purple disco machine remix of mess it up that's which been is on streaming i love it it's I'm, so good i'm here for it i actually yeah. think the drums sound more dynamic and nicer uh than they do on the record and even the video mix with Nicholas Holt has a better low end center channel to my ear. So uh, check it out. See if you hear a difference or if we have just lost our mind. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a lot of feedback from that. So maybe we're the only people paying that close attention to it. But anyway, uh, Mess It Up is great. I hope it gets played a lot on the tour. That would be wonderful. Oh, that's the, that and, and, and Live by the Sword are the ones that I'm most hoping that we get. Yeah. So. Why don't we dive in now to the release on the docket, which is live at the Wiltern Theater. So a little bit of background. Um, this was obviously on the Licks tour. Um, they had done a couple of those three-night stands before they got to L.A. I think they opened in Boston, and then they maybe did Philly. I'm sure they played the Tower Theater in Philly. This is, I think, the largest of the theater shows that they'd played to date. Like, obviously, they've done, like, tiny, tiny clubs before this, but... Um, the Wiltern is like a 3,000 seater, so it's sort of like the Olympia in Paris, which is the other show on the Four Flicks box set that they released from this presentation of the Licks tour. The band is like pretty hot. They had just done the big stadium and the arena show in LA. Then they had a night off in the Wiltern to rehearse with Jim Keltner and the other special guests uh, that we're going to talk about later. Because the thing that we wanted, that I asked for, was the Paris-Olympia. Yeah. Paris, sorry. Olympia show. But uh, one thing that I do like about that show, and this is a weird thing to like, but I I like the rawness of that show. Mm -hmm. I like that they kind of mess up on Hand of Fate, and it's a little kind of rough and ready. I'm into it. Yeah. But I would also be very open to a weight, uh, to a tighter version of it. And that going to a go-go from Paris is like... 
the best version of that song ever recorded. I, I mean, think. there's no bad version. I mean, uh, I even yeah. love the ragged, like, uh, draggy versions from 81. The 81 really ones. Figured it out. You, would you even say that you like the Jerry Seinfeld singing going to a dog pound in uh, in uh, early episodes of Seinfeld? Yes. Okay, I, so we're, we're good I'm on that. I'm 100% good with all versions of going to a go-go. Going to a go-go was an early entree for me because they were doing one of those retrospective video collections on much music like back in the day. And if you've ever seen the video for going to a go-go, it's edited to match the visuals from the um, uh, Hampton, it? the Hampton Coliseum show, which is like a bit of a Davisk breakfast, but it, it looked very impressive in the nineties when I was just getting into the stones. Yeah. And it's funny. I, there's a lot of people who don't like still life and I, I do like still life, but I do get why people don't like it. And it's funny. I actually played that for my band many years ago. And a lot of people were like, that sounds like there's a lot I don't like about this, but that beat and mm. like just the energy of the performance is unreal. Yeah. But we're getting Can't You Hear Me Knocking with Jim Keltner and going to a go-go on this release. So I'm I'm all in. Um, now, like you mentioned, Live Licks contained some edited versions of tracks from this concert. Uh, I'm just looking now. And again, I'm going by Felix A. Ipley's ultimate guide here for all of this like official release stuff. Um, so if I'm wrong here, you've got to, you know, reach out to him to correct his thing. It was, okay. Beast of Burden, you mentioned, which was edited. We don't get the entire thing on Live Licks, but we're But it, the unedited version is on the DVD? I believe so. Yeah. Then Everybody Needs Somebody to Love, obviously with Solomon Burke, is on the Live Licks CD. Yeah, and that has been egregiously edited. We, we've complained about the edits, but... Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're getting the full thing here now. And You Don't Have to Mean It, Can't You Hear Me Knocking, and Rock Me Baby are all on Live Licks, too, from this show. Oh, that Rock Me Baby is so good. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get the visuals at last on Blu-ray. And, uh, if you are, for some reason are still just rocking DVD, you can buy DVD for this show, but they're also putting out the entire thing, maybe minus band introductions. Sometimes they edit that for the vinyl release. Um, but all 20 songs are on the vinyl. So you can buy that triple vinyl and put it in your collection there. Yeah. This is definitely what, like I want, there are still things I want to hear from the Lex tour. Like I always think that the Pacific portion of the tours after they've spent the entire North American leg and sometimes the European one warming up. Yeah. They are always so hot for the Pacific portion of the shows and they start doing crazy things. They start doing things you, you, you never hear anywhere else. So if they have the Budokan one, I would happily hear that. Mm. There's tons of stuff. I mean, Twickenham, Twickenham is still so good. The Twickenham stadium show, I think is a high watermark for this whole era. Like it's just every performance is amazing from Twix. So licks at Twix. Maybe 2025. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is a great, great announcement. Uh, I'm glad that they are keeping up the archival stuff, even as the new era is ongoing. Um, anything else we need to mention, like just about the set list? I mean, let's talk about... It's an enormous... It's so much stuff. Uh, let's talk about... Okay, so the version of Jumpin' Jack Flash that opens the show was, I think, broadcast on the Grammys or something around this time. Like, there's a clip of it on YouTube. And it's fucking fire like i don't mind saying that there's a lot of great versions of jumping jack flash obviously but this is like about as good from this tour as you can expect well i hear. appreciate your sentiment but i'm not sure we need the cursing <laughs> maybe i'll uh, bleep that out like i've done in the past um you got live with me and then neighbors right out the gate love it come on now uh hand of fate which like again it's been up or down on this tour but like it's always good to have more versions of hand of fate then they slow it down no expectations. 
Uh, Ronnie's playing on No Expectations is always superb, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, Beast of Burden, like we mentioned, we're getting the full thing unedited. And Stray Cat Blues. People are uh, hot or cold on this arrangement of Stray Cat Blues. I think they went back to the album arrangement. Um, a lot of people were upset they weren't doing the Yaya's arrangement anymore. But, but this is the nature. Like the thing is that everything with the Stones is in its time and place. Yeah, and that's how they. The the the, the one thing I would say that that I love the most about Charlie is his complete uh, lack of reverence for the studio versions, and he just plays the beat in the moment, and yeah. they work everything out. They're not. They've only really started to replicate the... This is about the time that they started to try to replicate the album versions. Yeah. They a would, little bit on Steel Wheels, but... Yeah, um, they would reference the album stuff when they were putting together the tour. And, I mean, obviously they had just gone through with Abco to remaster all this catalog stuff, so it was kind of fresh in their minds. I remember an interview from Keith at that time where somebody was like, what are you listening to? And he's like, this year, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's very much true. Um so, okay, I'm going to find some other comments here because this whole show has been bootlegged. If you go online, there's an audience recording of the whole thing. Um, so you can hear it, you know, warts and all. Then uh, dance part one. So yeah. that's another rarity. And it sounds great on the Paris Olympia show. I'm sure this is also equally notable and awesome. You've got like... Uh, Blondie playing the Kuika or whatever it is. And yeah, from the Ministry of Culture, yeah. as, as Mick says. <laughs> yeah, Lisa imitating the Kuika. That's right. That's what that was. Um, uh, which, uh, if you uh, want to get that sound on a budget, uh-huh. uh, a McDonald's cup uh-huh. with, with a straw with a straw works yeah, running right really up well. Great. <laughs> okay, that's a pro tip right there. Uh, take that to the bank. The next, they bring out Solomon Burke for everybody who needs somebody to love. And awesome. And better special guest would be hard to find for this era of the tour. I mean... Earlier, the, the Stones are so influenced by Solomon Burke, yeah. especially at the beginning. Like, there's such a, a love for Solomon Burke's approach. And, you know, he was the king of rock and soul, right? And that is the key element that I think sets them apart and that modern rock has sort of moved away from. So yeah, I really, soul if, influence. Yeah. If you don't know Solomon Burke, definitely check him out. And even after he leaves the stage, they play right away. They play That's How Strong My Love Is. So it's like, yeah, this is soul time right here. Um, then going to a go-go. Uh, after that came the band introductions. And again, I think they may skip that on the audio release. That's been the trend for these vault releases is they'll they'll leave it in the video because everybody comes up and takes a bow, but it's kind of tedious to listen to on CD or vinyl. So they just skip it. Uh, and then it's Keith's set. So like we were saying before, Keith, in the past, there's precedent for him doing two slowies back-to-back because Mick isn't on stage and he doesn't care how it goes down. Uh, And here he does through and through, and you don't have to mean it. Again. That's what he did. um, That was his set at Skydome. Right. When I saw it. And that's that's tough. That's the toughest show for me to remember Mm. out of all of them because I only really remember the B stage because I was reasonably close to it. Yeah, Skydome is tough for concerts. It's so cavernous. It it sounded good and it was a big thing for, I think I've said this before, but a bunch of my friends had a party afterwards and it seemed like everybody was there and everybody was like, I was very very much expecting everybody to be kind of too cool on them and be like, well, you know, they're old and they don't know what they're doing. But, you know, it was a bunch of like, 18 19 year old kids who all really liked it and it was it was super it was a really fun night super vindicating for me well there you go uh then 
comes Can't You Hear Me Knocking with Jim Keltner. Uh, then they do Rock Me Baby. And then I think there's no B stage, because obviously this is the will turn, but they're just going to play whatever the heck they want at this point in the show. And they do Bitch, like random late set Bitch. I don't know. I Because I, it's time to bring the energy yeah, back up, get, I would build assume. build it up. Uh, then you got Honky Tonk, Start Me Up, Brown Sugar. And then an encore break. And they close the show with Tumbling Dice. Strange. That I don't is, think they've done that elsewhere or any, any time since. Yeah, I think that Mick is always trying to find interesting ways to fit the songs together so that they satisfy the structural need. Mm-hmm. Um, and going with one that's a big jam on the outro uh, is a good way to go. Yeah. Uh, they did. It's only they closed with "It's Only Rock and Roll" on the Bigger Bang Tour, right. and you know I, I appreciated the or they did it early on. There was a lot of changes in the mm-hmm. set list early on versus later. They they always try opening with something a little funky, and they usually come back to "Jumping Jack Flash" or "Start Me Up" on on pretty much every tour. Um, and that's an interesting. I'd be interested to hear that. Uh, see how it works. There's a pro shot on the YouTubes. I think that is from the BBC broadcast. Somebody ripped it and put it up there. Um, and you're not going to be disappointed. I mean, this is, I think, one of Charlie's peak performances of Tumbling Dice. I mean, just mm-hmm. for Charlie's performance alone. Well, look, I'm on really the record saying that uh, Perry Olympia 95 is the best version of Tumbling Dice ever put to record with the close second, which was my number one for a long time. Mm-hmm. Close second is Shine a Light. Ah. But I I've, like I've come to fall in love with the El Combo one. I don't know why, but there's something about it. Even without are, the horns. There are I typically don't find that that song that you you have to very precariously the whole thing is with the tempo. The re, the, yeah. the reason why the why the Perry Olympia one caught my attention is because Mick felt that that was the perfect tempo. Mm. And I like it if I had to say too fast or too slow, I would say too fast. Because I, I just think it's important to keep the energy going. Because I think when that song gets too slow, as it had a tendency to do in the seventies, yeah, it it's just boring. Um, the so, riff just doesn't have the same lift to it unless it's at that exact right tempo. But and and yeah, change, dropping the key is not my favorite, and not having horns uh, and stuff like that doesn't isn't my favorite either. But like. There are some later ones. There's some, there's some interesting ones on the 81 tour, mm-hmm. but they're yep. closer to the 70s way of doing it than the post-89 uh, way of doing it. Yeah, but I mean, once you've got horns out, then, you know, everybody's got to kind of agree on a very specified structure. And um, within that, obviously, there's lots of room for them to jam. And this one's an excellent one. So we're very excited about that release. There's nothing that I could see that's exclusive to the Japanese editions this time. So I'm not going to put out the extra expense and import it from Japan this time. I'm just going to get the domestic Blu-ray disc, but um, I don't know. Christian, are you interested in owning this on vinyl? Is this going to be something? This one is tempting me, honestly. Yeah. I I, um, I have to be pretty selective these days. Um, Times being what they are. Yeah, uh, in the in, and it's it's been uh, a little rough. I still actually haven't listened. I got, it was such a, such a thing to get Hackney Diamonds on vinyl that mm. I actually haven't had time to listen to it with the holidays and, you know, recent events. So this one is pretty tempting, but then I'm also thinking that like, 
I love Atlantic City 89 and it's just sitting there and yeah, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bunch of the other ones. And I still, I meant to get Elma Combo. I still haven't got it. You know, I want it and ideally I would have uh, a lot more, <laughs> but it's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were all so into our vinyl collections during the pandemic just because there was nothing else to do. Uh, <laughs> and we're entering, you know, four years since that time and things have definitely moved quickly from uh, where we were. But yeah, I mean, I have unopened Prince box sets setting up at home that I have to get to myself. It's very interesting. And this may be slightly off topic, but it's very interesting to me that I'm seeing articles simultaneously saying that vinyl has had its sixth consecutive year on the growth. But then there's also these ones that, you know, make me go get my tinfoil hat out of storage because they're like, well, who even needs vinyl? And Vinyl isn't relevant anymore. Nobody wants vinyl. It's like, well, Taylor Swift fans want vinyl, and that's enough. <laughs> like that, <laughs> they may not play it. Very true. They may not even look at well, it. Well, look again. at Olivia Rodrigo. I mean, she put the version of her last record out with the secret bonus tracks, depending on what variant you got, mm -hmm. and there was no publicity around it. It wasn't like a big stunt, but you know, because her fans are so plugged into everything she does. It was a huge success, and, and everybody was really thrilled. And then she later put out the EP for Record Store Day of all the other ones that you didn't get if you didn't buy that specific version. So, you know, it's certainly a way that artists are strategizing their release. And, and we're very uh, near the anniversary of David Bowie's death. I think it was actually just yesterday. Oh, and yeah. It, he really kind of pioneered the stealth release. Mm -hmm. And I have protested its idea as a valid strategy for smaller artists because no one is looking for material from somebody nobody knows about but i have kind of come around on it because it is cheaper yeah it doesn't require a ton of forethought and one of the biggest things that i see from a lot of artists is a sort of indecision perfectionism trying to save up money for a marketing campaign and then not being able to do it and I think in 2024, it is a valid strategy to just put it out. Yeah, no pre-order. Just here it is. It's available now. Get it if you want it. And then if you don't, you can move on. And the thing is that what that will eventually do, if you concentrate on the making and releasing of your music, I'm not talking to, I don't know how many indie musicians I'm talking to, but I'm just saying for anyone who's interested, if you concentrate more on the making of music and less on the marketing of it, you'll probably be happier and you'll certainly like, save yourself a lot of money and trouble because you can put that energy into either making your records better, yep. faster, or uh, working and paying your bills. Yeah, exactly. You know, being, being the working man, like Merle says. But you can, <laughs> a, work, a lady can be a working man in 2024 too. It, That's right. I don't want to be limiting in any yes, way there. Course. Anyone can be a working person in 2024. So why don't we uh, put a pin in the will turn discussion uh, and we'll just say we're really looking forward to it. However we get it, however we, if you're streaming it, I'm, and there may be an Atmos mix on streaming because I don't think it's been announced for any of the physical formats, but we'll listen to that too. I'm just hoping that the mix isn't totally squashed on the Blu-ray. Uh, I can live with it in stereo, but you know, if I'm playing the surround and it's squashed, I'm going to be like, well, why did I pay all this money? But I listened to that rip from the BBC broadcast that's on YouTube, and it sounded fine, so I'm hopeful that the Blu-ray will be the same. Uh, we'll update you after it comes out, but we have other stuff planned in the meantime before that comes out, so it won't be as long until you hear the next episode. You want to tease anything more about that, Christian, before we uh, close this Well, thing? we have some very, very good guests lined up. Yeah. 
I don't want to necessarily name names at this point, but there's a big reveal about Keith's guitar sound hmm. that has been on the record for a while, but not really gotten a ton of attention. And then should we say the other one or should we? Well, let's keep, let's keep Stum. I think that's enough of a teaser to keep uh, people interested. There's in another big thing coming from someone with a lot of firsthand experience is all I can say. Yeah, hopefully so. We'll be able to get that out to you as soon as we can. But in the meantime, keep subscribing to this podcast, however you get it. If, if you have the option to rate it on your favorite podcast machine, that helps us out. Um, anytime you give us a five-star review that, you know, gets this in front of more people. If you go on our social media where we are at Stones Pod on Instagram and threads and X, um, you're more than welcome to follow us there and interact with us. You can always write to us. It's Rolling Stones Podcast at gmail.com. Christian, you want to plug your personal socials? Yeah. Um, my I use my producer name uh, online, which is Altham Carson, A-L-T-H-A-M-C-A-R-S-O-N. Hopefully I spelled that correctly. I think it, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is my two middle names. But there's a lot of cross-posting back and forth. Um, and if you want to support me, which also helps support the show, you can find me on Bandcamp under that name. I'm also on Threads and Instagram. And we are looking into uh, getting some way of supporting the show. We're working on that. In the meantime, contributions to my Bandcamp will help make the show. Yeah, so. definitely. We're, we'll give you more on that as it comes. Yeah, and you can stream Christian's music under that name on your streaming platform of choice as well. That's also true. Just streaming my music on on anything. Spotify uh, has the most data and is the one that everyone is most focused on, but I am on all of them, I think, at least all the major ones. So yeah. uh, whatever it is. And uh, feel free to you know take your phone's volume down to zero, put it on repeat, and uh, leave it on as you sleep yeah. because that will really help. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anytime you do that for your friend who has a, a track out, they will get a nice boost from that. So always good. Anything else? Uh, no, just that uh, Hope Springs Eternal, that another studio album will come soon. And we're very excited for the tour. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, catch us out there in Jersey. I've been Tim Lindsay. And I continue to be Christian Bonner, a.k.a. Altham Carson. Until the next time. We say goodbye. <laughs>